the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast Season 3. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook, and I am delighted that you have chosen to join us for Season 3 of the Instructor Podcast. I just want to take a quick minute to thank everyone that has sent me a message or commented or even just gone back and listened to any of the previous episodes whilst we've been in between seasons. Um, It's been really lovely, and I really appreciated all the comments, all the texts, and the massive number of downloads we've had whilst we haven't even been releasing episodes. Really appreciate that. Thank you all. Today's episode is a great one to come back with. I am joined by Diane Hall and Chris Alsop as we talk about who really is the snowflake. We hear everyone complaining all the time about the snowflake students we have. We're diving into that today with a couple of experts. But before we get into that, I am going to ask you all a really big favour. What I'd like you to do is share the show. So you could do that by just posting about it on social media, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever. You can go and find the posts that I've put up. You can share them or retweet them. You can text your friends. You can share it in a WhatsApp group, whatever you like. I'd really appreciate if you could share the show so we can try and get out to as many people as we can. The show has grown month on month, week on week in terms of numbers, and I'm looking to do even more for season three. So yeah, really appreciate if you could do me that small favour and tell someone how awesome this show is. Now we do have some big changes coming up for season three. If you hang about till the end of the episode, I will go through those then. But for now, let's dive into season three. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast. I'm delighted to be back with season three. And on the first episode, who better to join me than the wonderful Diane Hall and Chris Alsop? How are you two today? Very well, thank you. Very well. I'm delighted to have you both on. uh, And I'm going to ask you first to introduce yourselves. And I believe you're going to do it in a slightly different way. You go first because you're the boss. Oh, I'm the boss. Oh, oh. (laughs) I think you're going to introduce each other. I think that's right. (laughs) That's that's a podcast on its (laughs) own. Well, this is Chris Olsop, my wonderful and almost silent partner because of his previous job as a psychotherapist with um, CAMS, which is Children's and Adolescents Mental Health Services. I think there's a fair few families that might be after him at some stage um, for taking children off or suggesting sort of things that that through courts and everything. So he doesn't do much on Facebook. He he isn't seen much on Facebook, but he's very, very much an integral part of the business and obviously a key part when we do the workshops. So that is the lovely Chris. Yes, I am. I am my profession, although I'm a qualified driving instructor as well. I am a psychotherapist. And often people say, what is a psychotherapist? Well, we know what psychologists do. Psychologists deal with behavioural structures and help people to make understanding of that, either through um, workshops or setting out processes to qualify things. A psychotherapist deals with people's human conditions, and that's anything particularly in, in our realm within driving instruction, which is fears, phobias, anxieties, depression, all the things that actually take us away from society and actually help us to, or what we believe helps us to hide away. But hiding away is probably the worst thing we should do, but we don't feel like communicating when we feel like it. So my job 
over the last 30 years is to understand what human behavior is and how we affect it in a positive way. And I think we've found the answers. Wow. <laughs> Finding the answers with a lovely partner called Diane Hall, author. <laughs> author. Pa- partner. Partner. ADI. ADI. Nurse. Friend. Friend. Very much. <laughs> um, nerve specialist. Um, thought field specialist. Advanced. People forget that. She's incredibly good at what she does. Um, and I think as a partnership and in love, we work wonderfully together. Oh. And I'm happy to be a partner. Well, this is the nicest start to a podcast I've ever had. This is like really warm and endearing. Um, I will if just. If we weren't, it wouldn't be very good, would it? Yeah, we're the relationship specialist, supposedly. <laughs> I hate this one. I hate this one. Uh, <laughs> I was I was slightly amused, Dan, that you started off introducing uh, the podcast by talking about the how your partner is silent. <laughs> this yeah. is gonna be good for everybody. Um, well, as in silent and not seen yes. on Facebook and everything, yeah. yes. Terence, let me just interject. One is silent, one can ask for permission to talk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> one um, tries not to waste words. <laughs> I, I have learned to say to my wife, I'm okay to talk to you for a bit, love. And uh, she, the, the answer is often no. <laughs> <laughs> Give me five minutes. I need a brew. Yeah. How does that make you feel, Terry? <laughs> well, actually, quite nice because I'm like, oh, good. So you'll come back in five minutes and actually listen. Then so that's good. So it works. <laughs> you also mentioned the workshops just before we sort of get stuck into there because I do want to speak about uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Largely is sort of um, what I'm terming the snowflake generation, the snowflake syndrome, and. The, the troubles that those people go through, how we as instructors may not necessarily understand that, um, and then the anxiety and, and that side of it that goes around that. But before we get into that, you mentioned then, Diane, about workshops, and I attended uh, one of your workshops. Uh, I forgot the date, but I did attend one of your nerves workshops. Did you want to tell us a little bit about your nerves workshops? Yeah, the, there's an awful lot of amazing people do amazing things workshop-wise in the industry to do with part three standards checks and everything and coaching and everything else. I think Chris and I are very different as in we're the only ones that are qualified to do what we do. There's other people doing similar things, but there's only Chris and I that have got a kind of unique set of qualifications. So we run our driving test nerves specialist workshop around the country and we'll give you the links. We've got a few coming up. It's a full day workshop instructors um, hopefully enjoy it. Everybody, the feedback's good Mm -hmm. so far. Mm -hmm. They get an insight into Chris's world of psychotherapy, but at an instructor level. So it's really hands-on stuff for understanding why our pupils act the way they do. So that's Chris's side. Um, I, as a thought field therapist, specialise in fears, phobias, so driving anxiety, test nerves, also for instructors as well for their part two, threes or standards checks. So at the end of the day, they'll go away with an understanding into their own minds and the the minds of their pupils and then unique techniques that are unique to Chris and I to combat fears, phobia, driving test nerves, anxiety, part two, three, standards check nerves, anxiety. We have a range of resources that go away with so you're not empty handed you get all the um, ebooks and um, the course materials so you can start to put all the techniques into practice because it's so far out of the average ADI's realm that you start looking at this stuff the day after the workshop and go, 
oh my goodness, how do I implement that? So in addition to all the workbooks, we also do regular Zoom meetings. Um, there's a new app called Test Buddy, which we'll hopefully chat about in a bit. And we've got a private group on there called the Driving Test Nurse Specialist Group. So any instructor who attends our workshop is included into the group, can come along to the free Zoom sessions, and we're always on hand to answer any questions. So that's all part of the, the workshop um, package, as it were. So, yeah, if you have a different, difficult pupil, not understanding why they're behaving, how they're behaving, it may be well out of your realm how to deal with those. Mm. Come to the workshop, come to the Zoom session, give us a ring. We'll always give you what, the answers of what to do. We've never failed yet, so we've been doing it a long time. So well, hopefully we're, uh, we're well-versed in helping <laughs> Excellent. Well, like I said, we, we'll come back to that later on. We can uh, we'll talk about the test body and uh, anything else you want to discuss then. But I will just say that I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did pick up quite a bit. You are still on my recommended page on the instructorpodcast.com website, which is very sparse at the minute, partly because I'm very, very picky about what I recommend. So okay, <laughs> that's probably the biggest compliment I can give you. But yeah, but what we're sort of talking about now, we're going to look at the uh, the snowflake syndrome. Now, before I dive into this, I looked up the actual definition of snowflake and not the, uh, the pretty snow or such, the actual definition. So a political insult for someone who is perceived as too sensitive, often used for millennials and liberals now that description really intrigued me because first of all i'm a millennial so uh you know i could be bracketed in with that snowflake generation if you like but the, the thing that interests me the most is that uh it's for someone who is perceived as too sensitive and i think that's the key thing it's not that description isn't saying someone is too sensitive it's more talking about the person that is perceiving them as too sensitive and I think that's probably the key thing, isn't it? So you've got a student that might be sensitive around a certain area. It's not that they're wrong to be sensitive about that. It could potentially be that the person viewing them is too insensitive. But mm. Do you think I've kind of got that balance about right there? or? Yes. But I think what we've got to add into that is it, it is classified as a general term for a general type of people in society. So like you said, you said a millennial millennials then are quote-unquote sensitive but it can that's we, the issue with it Chris, do you mind if i just clarify something <laughs> i told you i wouldn't get <laughs> i'll tell you if you like because every workshop we do and everything that goes on all the instructor groups is the definition of millennials and um, a lot of instructors think a millennial is somebody that was born sort of in the year 2000 so they're now sort of 2022 that's not true it's not the millennials are now aged between 28 and 40, depending on when they were born in the, the, the 80s. So then the um, the millennials, people's call snowflakes, it's actually more likely to be the children of the millennials and children? general and generation X. So when we say millennial, we're talking age 28 to 40. So yes, it can be some millennials, but usually the children of the millennials and generation X. So the 17 to 25 year old sort of category. Which are your ish. clients, which are our clients. Yeah. So our clients 70, yeah. 25 year olds. So that's that's where that comes into. But why are why are our children <laughs> behaving? Why are young people behaving the way they are? We have, we have to look at our parents, their parents, or our class as millennials. So that's where the differential comes in. But Diane's right. Everybody has a different term for what snowflake means. 
And when we went around the workshop, everybody shouted out <laughs> what they believe a millennial or a, a snowflake was. And it's interesting to get that kind of feedback into a group because if we just take that group into a holistic approach to our society, the group of driving instructing, how often is that used? Yeah, I think the I kind of bracket with the word walk. I think they're used, snowflake and walk are kind of used um, together a lot. Oh, not heard of that. Woke. Woke. What does that mean? Woke, woke, walk. Yeah. um, So it's like um, someone who cares too much or they're caring about someone that's not important and and oversensitive again, if you like. And I think they're used interchangeably quite a lot, online in particular. And they're used in a degrading sense, I think, the word snowflake and woke. They're used as insults largely, but yeah. I've been called both a few times, and I take it as a compliment. I mean, someone's telling me I'm sensitive and I care about someone else's feelings. I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> the thing I wanted to sort of ask specifically about this is I think it does boil down to the, someone's behaviour and someone's thoughts and feelings. And I think before we get into the student, I think more from an ADI perspective, why... Are we so and obviously not all ADIs, but why are a lot of ADIs so quickly to judge that person for feeling a certain way, whether they get upset because something's gone wrong, or maybe they don't like being spoken to a certain way and complain about it? Why do you think as ADIs we take umbrage at that rather than just being grateful that someone's actually expressing their feelings? Later on in the talk, that will be revealed. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are many issues. One how Millennials have been brought up, the effect of that, that nurturing within their lives developed them in a particular way in society. They, they hardened up for lots of things. But a swing effect, what we call a swing effect. Now, what is a swing effect? One generation's belief is set at one side. Let's look at a pendulum, yeah? A swing effect is one generation, the generation before, the millennials, Generation X, okay, believed in one way, and within 10 years or 15 years, the next society will believe wholly in the opposite way. And then, conversely, the next generation will swing back to the next. And we have extremes of behaviour. And these extremes formulate our structures, our belief, and the way we talk and the way we act. What should happen, Terry? is that we should come back just past half, take values from one thing, understand the new value that you understand but prefer. Don't chuck the baby out with the bathwater. Don't don't take the good that was good and get destroyed the good. Actually add it to the good that you have. And this has happened in society for the last 300 years, so (laughs) we're not going to change it very, very quickly. Because... Each generation is locked within their generation's Mm. study. They can't see anybody else's. If I talk about what happened before you were born 20 years, you've got no idea about it. And neither in 20 years' time, the children that you have and them talking about, oh, when my dad was little, but they really have no perception. And we were brought up with, get a great, I mean, we say this on the workshops. I've been in ADI 20 years. How did we deal with anxiety 20 odd years ago? Well, first of all, it was make like a pair of curtains. Draw, yeah, close, yeah. Draw, shut it down. Um, put yourself together, get a grip, stop being so pathetic, grow a pair. Um, if you're ready for your test, you should pass. Nerves don't play a part if you can drive. 
And this is still how some ADIs are. So as Chris was just saying, then you've got this pendulum swing, haven't mm-hmm. you? So when you've got an ADI of that generation with the younger generation that is more, for want of a better word, um, sensitive, they struggle to understand their sensitivities because they weren't brought up like that. Absolutely. The opposite way. Mm. So that's your point, really. Yeah. Can't they relate? And it's this relation, but it's more than that. It's actually defining their characteristics, their choice systems, because we don't believe you can do that. But they're not understanding that actually they're part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking through that then, um, I had sort of a a flashback to something that happened to me recently in the – when I was young, I can remember going out with my sort of parents' meal. So I'm talking when I'm like 13, 14 now. And my mum had this habit of, in a nice way, so I'm not meaning to belittle my mum, she don't listen to this, I'm not meaning to criticise my mum now, but she would tease me. She would, you know, embarrass me, try and playfully embarrass me, like when we go out for a meal or whatever. And I hated it, absolutely hated it. And we went out with my my mum recently and I took my steps on and she was doing the same to him yeah. and I immediately stepped in yeah. like no you will not speak to him like that you will not embarrass him and that's kind of what you're saying it rather than letting a little bit of it happen you know letting the fun side of it happen yeah. and stopping it when it goes too far I've stepped in and shut it down straight away is, is, is that kind of what you're meaning yeah. how many strategies how many strategies <clears throat> when your mum treated you like that you would have got a load of coping strategies to deal with it. As a millennial parent of a so-called snowflake or whatever you want to call the the youngsters, um, your mother does that to your son. You don't sit back and let him deal with it himself. As a parent, you remember what that was like yourself. So you jump in and protect him. Well, what's he learned from that? Mum and dad will protect me. Yeah. So, where, then, where is this stra- so Terry, where is this strategy to deal with me? Well, he will just hire me to walk alongside yeah, him for the exactly. rest of his life. <laughs> now you let the nail on the head. So when you're not there, then when I'm not there, he's just gonna curl <laughs> up in a ball and become becomes, a snowflake. It becomes fearful. Like, he, it becomes yeah. So yeah. now this now you have the effect of the opposite behaviour. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and people don't understand how profound these things are. And, and it's the reason we have wars while we're in, in a Russian. It's all to do with these value systems that we hold on. There's other aspects, of course, greed and lying and things like that. But just generally, generation changes are now becoming more prof- profound, particularly with technology, particularly with coming away from society and not understanding how other people make choices, how other people behave they have no understanding of that and we call that edd yeah <laughs> edd no, no. <laughs> sorry <laughs> the edd from the workshop no that's gone you'll have to refresh me with that one. oh no that was a fun bit um no i'm not you people have got to come along to the workshop because we're not we're going to give, tell them we're the not, answer. We're not going to tell them the answer. We're not going to give the game away on that. <laughs> so ch- today's children have lost empathy. They have no idea how to empathise mm. in structured behaviourally with their peers and with older people and how to fit in society. How do I know that? There's a study in Michigan in 2008 that tells me all the results 
of 40,000 university students over four decades, 85% of them didn't understand empathy. 85% of 40,000 people at university had no idea, fell well below the mark. The average mark, the accepted mark was 20%. Most were below 10 of the 85. That's frightening. That's terrifying. Do you think that a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, do you think that some driving instructors actually then make that situation worse because rather than trying to help that student in that way, that's where the driving instructor then puts up the barriers. And and as you were saying, Dan, you know, fix it. Come on, we can, you know, do you think that we're, we're bad for that? It's incredibly destructive. And if you can't work out how your behaviour is affecting other people, well, that's maybe not a job you should be in. And I might get slaughtered for that. But I know driving instructors, we all want to do the best. Most of us, most of us, majority. You know, we are conscientious people who want to. But even then, we're not necessarily understanding what our effects are. We need to understand this day and age because this is a new development in, in, in society. This has come new to the entire, my profession, my prof- the World Health Organization, psychotherapy, are in a real trouble at the moment because we don't have enough people to help people who are anxious. 50, over 50% of the people by 2022 will have some psychological effect, uh, uh, relationship with a professional. That's not to mention those that aren't. 50% of the world's population will have a relationship to a psychological professional. That's not the other people aren't coming forward to get help. But we have to understand what we need to do and should do to affect them in a positive manner. And if we don't, we'll only cause distress. And therefore, so, so sorry. Sorry, uh, I was going to say, obviously, we there are resources out there. So you've obviously got your uh, workshops and so forth. Yeah. But in terms of what we could start doing, you know, if someone listens to this day and just takes a step back and goes, actually, I'm one of them people that are making this worse, what could that person begin by doing with those, those students or okay. those people? This vehicle is wonderful. Talking about it, bringing it out in the public. We structure this in a workshop. It's not, a, it's not a quick fix thing. It's a structure you must be able to understand. If you can understand it, maybe you can change. But until you can understand anything, you can't change until you understand the previous thing. So if I can fill that in, maybe, and then I can then answer your question later on, because it's not as quickly as just clicking your fingers and doing them. I could give you answers, but they'll be lost because you don't know where the structure comes from. It's just an event. Like, I'll just, I'll give you for instance. I would say to an individual, try to understand the child's perspective of where they are, why they communicate where they are, how they're affected by their choices in a negative way. It needs specific. I have to teach people structurally to change behavior. I'm a psychotherapist, so I too, so they follow the structures. And eventually they get to that knowledge of understanding. Oh my God. Oh my word. I'm doing that. Mm. That's me. Mm. I do that. So what are these, what are these I do those things? Well, rushing in. You just mentioned you. 
Yeah. Can I give you a little talk just for a couple of seconds? Yeah. The very first day of school when I was five, I remember my mum letting go of my hand. <coughs> and I think I filled up a little bit as I went into the classroom. Okay. I'm five years of age. Everyone in that classroom is roughly five, the same age. I went to a sandpit and picked a ball up and a bucket. Why a ball and a bucket? I don't know. That's all that was there. It wasn't a, wasn't a spade. The guy next to me shook me and took the bucket off me. The little boy. So I picked the ball up, moved away from that ball, and he followed me and pushed me again and took the ball away from me. The other side of the sandpit, I, I saw another boy who'd got two buckets and two balls. So I went and stood next to him. And then I, I got that back bucket and ball and I started playing. We started playing and having a bit of laugh together. And I become a friend of his in about 20 minutes. He wanted to go somewhere. I said, come with me, we'll sit together. As I was playing with this boy, I saw this other boy, the first boy, bullying another boy. So I went to that boy and sat next to him. I didn't take my spade and my ball. But as I was talking to him, I got to know him and had a bit of a laugh. I was playing with him, and he was concerned about somebody else as we were playing. Then I picked up the ball and the, the bucket that he had, and then I took it back to the second boy. I got, in other words, I got my bucket and my ball back, because I wanted, for some reason, five-year-olds want what they want. <laughs> okay. And he was fine about that, because then he was talking to another boy. Somebody else came, sat next to him, and he pushed him off the chair, and he didn't like it, this little boy, and he started crying. By the end of the day, that little boy became friends with that boy who pushed him off a chair. What's happening? What is happening there? If we just stand back a bit, we've got little children going through stresses of relationships, but working out strategies how to deal with minor level problems that you need to overcome. If you overcome them, you're successful and you'll get what you want back. If you make a relationship and work at that relationship and use a strategy to use laughter or fun or mess about or fall down, you make a relationship. And children are wonderful at making relationships. Do you know, Terry, if I look back on that time of that first day, I must have developed 20 to 30 different strategies as I was going through that three or four hours as a young child. What do you think would happen if now the teaching in society because it's no longer individualism, it's about, it's about group formation. We're no longer individualistic. What happens now in nurseries, if there's only falling out, the teacher separates them. And dives in. Dives in, moves them apart, and it gives them something to do, or she will give them something to do differently. What's the problem with that? What's Sorry, I'm going to say that's that's similar thing to what I spoke about before in my steps. You're taking away their, their coping strategies, right? Well, you, you may do. Now, for you, if I upset you, or we have a fallout, God forbid, we won't, we're not. <laughs> if you did with your wife or your partner or somebody you knew, how long does it take you to get over that kind of upset if, you've been, if someone's fallen out well, you feel something? It could take half an hour. It could take 10 minutes. It could take a day. You might be fretting the next time that you, you see them. The problem rushing in is that we don't allow people to have time to, to create strategies. Strategies take time to build. Some are very easy. Some are very quick. And some work out and some don't. But again, that's a different strategy because you learn what's not working 
And you also learn what does work. Then you take on those values and use them in your life. Mm -hmm. That comes from a child. Mm -hmm. Behind a child is 10 years old, he has something like half a million different strategies. But if at every time that child's grown up now, today, and the teacher runs in and separates, where did they build strategies? The important thing here, Terry, is that they will that someday there will not be children. There'll be adults without strategies to deal with stress. And that's why you have 50% of the population in the world by 2022 anxious and dealing with psychological specialists like me. And that's why you then get posts on, I mean, I love the group, The Funny Side, uh, but not just The Funny Side. There must be 20-odd posts a day on all the different groups saying, oh, I had little princess's mum on the phone today. Is that true? Yes. You get loads of those. Oh, pr princess's mummy rings up moaning at me. Or your son or daughter, because you've dived in, when they come for lessons at age 17, they're going, Dad, will you ring the driving instructor for me, please? And this is going back to what Chris says, but how many posts do we see on a daily basis from instructors complaining about their pupils? Now, some of them obviously are genuine ones. I've got this pupil, they're anxious, can you help me and all that? And they're, they're great. Those instructors are wonderful, but they're, they're the ones that are likely to listen to these podcasts. They're the ones that are going to come to the workshops. They're the ones that are going to do CPD. What we want to try and reach is those people that haven't perceived what an issue this is, the ones that might perhaps put the jokey posts up about the snowflakes. Um, so, yeah, interesting one, isn't it? So, to, bit to your point, Karen, so if you rush in, is that the child's fault because they, they haven't no structures to develop strategies? Or is it the parent's fault for rushing in, taking away the values and the time for working strategies? I'll ask you will ask the you will answer the question. <laughs> I mean, sort of it falls back, like you said, it's wow. the parents, isn't it? Initially, wow. that's what my talk is all about. Yeah, and it's not to blame anybody. Don't sh don't shoot the messenger. Someone asked me a question two and a half years ago, just before COVID. It was in December nineteen. So, Chris, what's happening with our children? What's happening? How they behave? I didn't know, Terry, how big that question was. And it took two years, the beginning of lockdown, right through lockdown. And I thought I'd probably get three months to do it. And it took me two years. And I'm still finalising a lot of the aspects of it, which creates a document of 16,000 words. Which I'm Diane, editing. That Diane's editing. <laughs> <laughs> I jokingly say I'm translating it from Yorkshire into English. <laughs> <laughs> So we're just taking a slight pause in the show to tell you about how you can support the show and help with the running of the show. So first of all, if you would like to support the show, you could share it. You can click subscribe. You can tell more people about it so more people come and listen. You can also go and check out the Instructor Podcast Premium. Now, over there, we've got two options. Option one, you can sign up for £2 a month. Now, for £2 a month, you get absolutely nothing except a really nice, warm, pleasant feeling and my eternal gratitude. Basically, that £2 a month goes towards the running of the show for my time and the costs 
Then there's a second option, which is a £10 a month tier. Now, again, you will get my eternal gratitude and you will get a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. But on top of that, you get so much more. For example, there's some discounts. So you get a £10 discount to Bob Morton's client-centered learning. You also get a 16% on, uh, on GoRoady, their diary management app. But there's also loads more than that. We've got loads of other bonus shows and content that comes out over there, including posts we do around the standards check where we dive into the competencies of a variety of trainers including Chris Benstead and Lee Jowett. We've also got bonus episodes around stress and burnout, different ways you can manage your business and a new one I've started this week which is a weekly one backstage pass where I take you behind the scenes of the running of the podcast. As well as that, we also have quarterly gets together. Ask me any friends where you can join me on a Zoom and we just shoot the breeze or you can ask me any questions you want. So you can see a lot of bonus content over there, well worth it for £10. So go check that out at theinstructorpodcast.com and sign up for that. But for now, let's get back on with the show. But this thing is not, not known. I haven't found anywhere in society, in the world, anybody who has talked about this. Not the way I've, I've mm. found. There's bits of things in some places. Some of the information is badly wrong. So I've had to qualify and quantify lots of the things that I've found. And it's taken two years of work. I've enjoyed doing it, but it still took two, two years of my time. But actually, now we created the workshop for from it because whoever I spoke to, doctors, surgeons, psychologists, behaviorists, professors, they had no idea what I was talking about. Mm. They had no concept of the change of behaviors in a, in a way that is, is so ingrained that it changes children from being normal, just children, to having no behaviors to recognize others people's thoughts feelings and behaviors they're empathetic they have no empathy they don't know how to empathize if in a lip in my in front of me terry there is a long list just click through it those who have empathy knowing how to communicate they know how to communicate they're very good at communication aren't they people have empathy those who lack empathy don't want to, can't communicate. So don't want to or can't. So they don't That's want to That's the ring. lack of empathy. Yeah. So they won't ring. They won't make the appointment. So mum and dad want the driving lessons for them. Being patient and interested. No, no patience. Angry, not interested. Don't respect, don't trust anybody. That's the lack of empathy. There are 40... There are 44s and against here. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go through them. <laughs> right, part of a group. That's empathy. We always want to be part of others. People like empathy alone, isolated, uncertain, confused, frustrated, fearful, anxious. Do we see any of that in our children? We see all of those in people. All of those effects in our children are driving cars. Mm. Not everybody. Remember, only 85%, only 85%. <laughs> so 15% so of your people. So the like alone is about two-thirds of, two of the children you're going to be dealing with in the next 10 years are going to have empathy disorders, 
and anxiety is a common a common situation that you're going to have to deal with. And if you're not trained to deal with it, I'm not saying become a psychotherapist because that will take 30 years. <laughs> I am saying that we have incredibly <coughs> strong techniques actually to free people from this condition within a matter of half an hour. And it changes our lives. Yeah, I mean, how can I phrase this? On your workshops, is obviously like a, a day-long workshops. And even at the end of them, you speak about how there's so much more you could tell us. So obviously we can't cover everything in this, this podcast episode. <laughs> so I'm kind of going to uh, sort of throw a few questions at you around this if I can. So, for example, you mentioned then about the the students whose parents contact us rather than the student. Now, again, that might not always be for that that reason it might be that the parent wants to get them a birthday present or something like that so i suppose there's there's always a gray area there but is should we be approaching those students any differently or should we uh, approach them with a more openness or should we be approaching every student with that openness we're in a profession which we do with new people we do with people full stop we shouldn't be in the profession if we didn't know how to cope with them so I would suspect that we're all pretty fairly good at doing that. It's the, it's the job that we do. People, with people, people. We have to talk to people, teaching people. Some are more sensitive to that than, than others. Those children, I'm really concerned with those children that are, it's clear that they're suffering. Yeah. It's clear that they can't communicate. It's clear that they are so uncomfortable about being with you. And they're probably phobic before they ever got in the car. Mm. Phobia, phobia is a fear of fear, fearful event. Oh, it's five minutes. Oh, it's three minutes. Oh, he's here. I can see his car. <gasps> That's phobic. That's phobic behavior. So anxiety before they so even the get anxi- to the car. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> now, that's not to say that people with that, and depending on the, on the uh, ADI and PDI, we've got to find ways of relaxing them. But if you can't, you, can't, you won't have the control. Because... You will do your job, but there will be no learning. Why? Because as they drive, just like you, Terry, let me do a little little um, experiment with you. Oh, you're making me nervous now. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so you're already getting nervous. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I don't want you to. I forbid you. You please do not think of a pink elephant. Now I told you not to think of a pink elephant, but you did anyway. <laughs> Why? Because when people say things to you and you create things, you think in pictures. You have a picture in your mind that says, this is what I want to say to Chris, I want to say to Diane, and you formulate that picture. And if you don't like that picture, you change it until it's the most accurate one. All our language creates pictures. Yeah? What kind of picture do you think someone who's phobic, fearful, before they ever get in the car, what's the pictures in their mind? Not very nice, is it? Not very nice, is it? No. So you're going to ignore that and just carry on doing your lesson, okay, or convince them to do the lesson because you'll feel better if they do the lesson, all right, or you don't want to give them the money back or whatever. That's up to you. You work that out yourself. But if we don't change those pictures, yes, you can have an hour's lesson. Don't learn anything. There is no learning going on because what's dominant pictures, the thing is, if I said to you, don't think of an elephant, don't think of the, the, the watch on your wrist, don't think of the bum on the chair, 
don't think of the feet beneath your feet. Every time I mention that, you swap pictures and ask you not to, because it's impossible not to. And if we don't understand our behavior forms, we don't understand the power of pictures, but if pictures are fear, then they hear you, but they don't change the pictures. Nothing is taken in. Nothing is taken in because what's dominant and what's the dialect is only the thing that creates behavior. In other words, what we think about and how we study what we think and talk about creates memory, cognition. If we think as we're driving fear, the only thing we've got dialect and thoughts and pictures going out is about fear. The only dialogue is fear. There's no teaching. But you've had a lovely lesson. Then you get... Uh, so I asked this in the workshop. How many of the people here, there could be 30, there could be 40 people in the workshop, how many people here feel that they've done the same lesson 30 times? So instead of 31-hour lessons, they've done one lesson 30, 30 times. times. Never progressed. Why? Because they're phobic. And they're fearful. And just being with you, a stranger, is an uncomfortable situation that causes fear. What we've got to do is normalise that behaviour. How do you do that? That's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you. The one thing, you have to remember what I do. I'm a psychotherapist for children. I'm a qualified psychotherapist for children. It started with children, not with adults. Although I do adults and marriages and relationship uh, life skills and all kinds of behavioral things. But when I look at children specifically, I'm 60 years of age, I will be in a few months, but I have a wonderful relationship to all children that come into my therapy. The last thing they want to be in is in therapy. I don't want to go and see Chris. I don't want to see him, that old sod. <laughs> but we have a fantastic time. It takes me roughly about an hour to break all the barriers down. Do you know what I do, Terry? Oh. I understand them. And I tell them I understand. And I tell them what a shit sandwich they've had. And I tell them how pathetic their life's going to be, or has been, and why they've been judged, and why do you think people are judging you? And why is that wrong? I understand. And I don't like it. And I'm here to defend you. And that might not be about your driving instructor. That might be about your parent. Because today, what we're doing is sacrosanct. What you tell me today, nobody else will ever know unless you tell them. This is the only time you'll ever in your life have a time to say what you want. Take the opportunity. Do you think about it? Did you know what they learned from that? Is that I understand them because I tell them what I know about them, old millennials, and how they struggle to identify and how they're fearful about all the decisions they have to make. But I'm especially to be of your fear. It's easy for me. You're not. So I have to teach some structures to people in the workshops. And we do. And they're doing fabulously doing it and making lives massively change. They're doing it on a day-to-day -day basis. And they are fabulous at doing it. And if they get it wrong, they can give us a call, do a Zoom, come back to an issue. It doesn't matter. They're there to learn. The more people we can affect about this, the more we can change the society of mental health. Mm. Do you think, right, then, just to go on, I'm going to, I do want to bring this around and talk a little bit about the anxiety side of it as well in a moment, but just a couple of points before we move on to that. Do you think that when you're talking there about understanding, do you think there's aspects of being non-judgmental there as well? 
So obviously, and I'll, I'll use the car example, the in-car with students. Yeah. I, I get a feeling a lot, and a lot, you know, they, they tell me that they're scared of being judged because they've spent their life being judged. And as soon as you start showing that empathy and that understanding, yeah. do you think that also brings in the non-judgmental side of it? And that also helps. Absolutely. It certainly yeah. worked, Jared. certainly worked because if, remember, what are you trying to do there? You're trying to build trust. They're frightened at that time and that you've got to, they've got to learn to trust you. It's what I do within the first half hour, right? So I tell them what I know and actually they start to relax. And they, they try me a little bit. Say, you really understand, don't you? You really do understand. I'm here for you. I'm not here for your mom, I'm not here for your dad, I'm not here for your auntie, I'm not here for anybody. I'm here for you. And it's you that I need to help. If you want the help, how's it working out for you? No, not great, Chris. So what are you frightened of? Everything. Mm -hmm. Right, well, let's look at that. Let's look at what anger and fear is. So I teach him how to, how to get rid of fear. Because fear is a lie. If you know how it's a lie, you can defeat it. But most people don't know it's a lie. Mm -hmm. Nodding. <laughs> you can't, you can't, can't hear you very well on the podcast when you're nodding. We can't hear you nodding. <laughs> you think I've learned that by now? Um, no, the, the problem is sometimes when um, when I'm focused on on people talking, it's like I almost think I'm on a podcast because I'm just listening. Like, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I'm going along with it. Um, the I'm going to give you an example now. I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. And I think this is an example of something that I handled quite well. So okay. I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. Um, I had a student, she's sort of late 20s. Um, I'm kind of getting onto the busier roads. And she was very, very nervous about the cars around her. And we was, well, I'm going to use the word fear. She was scared of the cars around her. And we were talking about it. And the phrase she used, and it, it kind of clicked with me straight away. She says she's scared of the cars coming towards her. And I asked her to think of it. If I say to you, if I say, think of a car coming towards you, what are you thinking of? And she immediately said a car coming directly at her. Yeah. I said, right, are those cars next to you coming towards you or are they coming past you? And I said, well, they're coming past me. I said, right, so let's just change that word then. When we're on yes. this road, the cars aren't coming towards you, they're coming past you. And as soon as she started talking about the cars coming past her, she was fine. Good. Fantastic. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, that, that was easy. <laughs> well, again, you recognised, first of all, you recognised, you understood what, what, made, could, what made challenge it. And remember, language creates pictures. So now she's thinking about what's coming towards her, not what's around her or behind her. And she's now thinking what's so coming past her. So therefore, she, so you take it, you change the picture in your languages and you've changed her pictures because you've come... You, you've, you've used a new approach, not her approach, or the approach that she was working wasn't working for her in a good way. It was working negatively. What I tend to say holistically on those kind of situations, what, what people think about is none of your business. What people think about you is none of your business. What are the cars around you is none of your business. Your business is about this car. Your business is about your life. You can't affect anybody else's life. Even if you could, you wouldn't want to, because if you affect person that life, you want it changed, and she wants it changed, and they want it changed, they with how they want it, and you're dancing around to everybody's tune. What people think of you is none of your business. 
It's what you think of you is your business. This is your car. Think about what you want to do. Yeah. Different picture. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, and I challenge them. What's your picture? Again, I've been doing this all my life. It's a different world, isn't it? It's yeah. a different world. But you, everybody, I love what we do as the industry. People, we mustn't take away that. Their skills, their, their approaches, the sensitivity that people have, the, the, the help, the teaching, the coaching. We've got incredible skill banks. We don't want to lose any of that. But maybe we want to add to it and bring some other things into it, actually, that can help us a far greater and a faster speed and more, more and deeper to get our children to be more pro- proactive and productive within their lives. Um, one of the uh, sort of kind of one more question on that, and this is just me putting potential two and two together, coming up with five. But <laughs> one of the things I see a lot on social media again, and is people are instructors, not people driving instructors, complaining <laughs> about students that will send a text message and then five minutes later or an hour later send a follow up with a question mark. Oh, yeah, the frustrating question mark. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my initial take on that is, yeah, so what? I'll still reply when I'm ready. It's just yeah. someone following up. But it did perk my attention slightly when you were talking through the the characteristics of empathy before. Is that what that is potentially? Yeah. The, the lack of empathy. I matter, I matter, you don't. Nobody else matters. That's I right. matter. <laughs> it's part of the, it's very much part of it. Do you remember I said there was 14 each category? Yeah. That's one of them. It's mm. the it's five sections that talk about that they matter and they're important. But you have to understand, you see, it's a massive subject, Terry. Even their friends, they don't trust. They really are alone, aren't they? Even their friends, they have a level of friendship. So it's not the kind of friendship we have. I would suggest that you have and that I have with my friends and our relationships. They're deep and they're challenging sometimes. And we can argue, but respect one another and love one another. Friends are friends now that if you're friends, you may know somebody, but they may not ever talk to you ever again. And they do that to everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there's no quality or the quality is is instant, just like life is instant. I get this and we'll on to the instant next. Instant gratification. We, do, we don't have any investment of emotion. And that, that further puts us alone. Because if anybody has no connections to groups and forms, forming groups, then they are alone. And that's depression. That's where anxiety forms, pulling yourself away from fear. But doing that makes you less and less communicated to others until eventually you're on your own and then you worry about not having anybody in your life, but actually you've caused all that behaviour because of your fears and your worries and your anxieties. Can you just imagine on a slightly jokey note, Terry, the conversations that go off in our household? Because that was as a result of, oh, yes, and they send up with a follow-up question mark on the text. <laughs> <laughs> Everything overlaps. Everything overlaps. I'm off to write a paper on that question, Mark. Well, there is. Oh, don't, please. <laughs> I have to edit it. You give me the time. <laughs> I find the whole thing fascinating. And it's, for me personally, I think it's because I've stepped back massively. I think I've been in this industry six years now. And I think the first three years, I was almost like the instructors I'm complaining a little bit about now. 
the ones that jump in, the ones that criticise and complain because someone had the audacity to send a question mark. You know, I, I was a, never, maybe never to that extreme, but I was a bit like that. But then I don't know what clicked it, but I stepped back and I started looking at the bigger picture. And just to use that example, what does it matter if someone sends a question mark? You know, why can't I just be accepting of that and say, okay, right, well, I'll still reply when I get time. I'm not going to be bothered by it. I think that I know that, like you say, it's, it's, a, it's a massive topic and there's there's a, a whole process behind it. But I think we can all start just by stepping back and trying to be a little bit more accepting. If you ask, if you ask me a question, what could we do, first of all, to help everybody? And I would say, and I said it, I said it to every mother that I meet, Stop, 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 and wait. I'll say it again. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop, and wait. Wait for them to develop. Wait for the strategy. Wait for them. You see, if we don't create strategies for them to grow, what does strategy building mean? It means self-respect. It means I've achieved. It means I can. I am. I can be part of. I can get over things. I can break through things. I can give desire things. I can work. But if I don't get the chance to do that and it's because somebody's rushed in, all that falls down. But that's the teaching. That's the teaching from all books. Everything that we read now from government is about collectivism, not individualism. Yeah. Terry was talking then as well, Terry, about the not the pupil but the instructor's reaction to the question mark mm. so reaction one don't they realize i've got another 30 pupils they think they're the only ones in my diary they think the world evolve revolves around them blah 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 instructor a having a go yeah they get bent out of shape they get angry they get frustrated they get pissed off with the pupils they rant on facebook and they feel like crap for a couple of hours instructor B does what you've just done stop 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 wait goodness sake it's only a bloody question mark why get all bent out of shape over it so with so, taking those two different approaches instructor A is getting all bent out of shape over the, the question mark because I haven't replied to the text in two minutes um or instructor B doesn't affect them which one's going to have a happier life which one's a snowflake? Which one's a snowflake? Ah. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that, I can see where they're coming from because it is this me, me, me thing, isn't it? Oh, I haven't got a reply within five minutes. I'm going to send a text. And so, you know, you can see both sides of the argument. And from my perspective, yes, I think it's rude. Uh, it can be frustrating, but I do exactly the same as you. Ignore it. And I'll answer it when I get around to it. Yeah, and also then um, you're almost training your pupils, right? Well, don't message me seven times, and you can even have a word with them because it's happened to me yeah. where they've sent not necessarily the question mark, but they might have followed up with a couple of texts, and I'm said to them at last, "Look, don't worry, I will reply. I just can't always get back to you straight away." Yeah. And they're always fine with that. But I think um, I had a brilliant, I read a brilliant quote the other day. Uh, if you're annoyed, or if I'm annoyed for ten minutes, eight minutes of those are my fault. 
Mm. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That you can't always control your initial reaction to something, but you can control the reaction after that. And uh, that stuck with me a little bit. But uh, we did mention there a few times about how um, this leak can potentially sort of the anxiety side of it. Yes. Uh, which swings us nicely over to you a little <laughs> bit more, Dan. Um, I'm going to throw this massively wide open to oh, you God. and let you take this in whichever direction you want to take it. Talk to me about anxiety, Diane, and students and uh, instructors. Oh, right. Um, yeah, get a grip, pull yourself together, don't be so stupid, go to Tesco's, buy yourself some man-up pills, end of podcast. Thanks oh, for no, listening sorry. to the Instructor Podcast. <laughs> we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. Yes. Huge subject. So this is mine and Chris's area. So Chris tends to deal with the stuff that's a lot deeper, fears and phobias, driving anxieties, but not so much where the driving test or part three is the cause of the anxiety, but is the outcome of deeper anxieties. So historical general anxiety anxiety and specific anxiety disorders so chris is like the, the next stage on from what what i do so people will come into th- what diane's saying people come into therapy, therapy with chris so, so i work, tend work through their, their their issues to find release yes so so basically we have our driving test nerves online course and the pro version which instructors can use to sign their their pupils up to. And on that, we share some of Chris's stuff about what's happening in the brain, how language creates our emotions, um, and what to do about it. My speciality is thought field therapy. Now, everybody I've dealt with has this bizarre look on the face after you've cured them of a fear or phobia in as little as four or five minutes. Every workshop we do, we do a demonstration of it. You, Terry, witnessed it as well at one of the workshops. How TFT works is it takes the emotion away from an event. So if you've got a really, really deep anxiety disorder, this is something where therapy may may be needed. But in terms of, I would say, what, probably 80% of instructors and their pupils, the stuff that we offer on the workshops and in the courses is sufficient. Thought-filled therapy is incredibly fast. It's incredibly effective. What it does in effect is blocks the emotion attached to an event. So take a, um, a failed driving test. So you've got the event itself, which is the test that's been failed, the data surrounding it, what the faults were, what the serious or dangerous was, what the examiner said, where they went, how they felt about it. They've got all the data. Then you've got all the emotion intimidation, frustrated and angry at themselves, jealous because all their friends have passed, anxiety they've got to do another test, guilt because they've let their instructor and whoever else down, then the upset, the trauma, and everything that goes with it. That's a past event. A future event could be that hill start they've got to do, that busy junction, even having to come out onto a driving lesson for the first time. Got a part two or three or standard check coming up for an instructor. So what thought-filled therapy does, stuff I do, is it takes away the emotions related to any past or future events. So you can think of the event without the emotional attachment. And it's, it's incredibly effective. It's the treatment of choice for the um, troops from Afghanistan who suffered PTSD. Um, Virgin Airways also use it for fear of flying. 
I qualified in 2008 and then at the advanced level in, I think, 2014. And I've, oh gosh, not hundreds, thousands of people. And the look on their face when they just can't get the emotion back, they'll use two words. That's weird. That's bizarre. And it's it's the same for everybody. Very, very rarely does it not work. I... Um... I've seen it firsthand. <laughs> you yes, know you have, yes. Um, but I, I also appreciate that I have taken up a little, all, your, all your time. It's like we've been on this recording already for an hour almost. Ow. So um, just before I give you a chance to promote anything you want to promote, I'm going to put you on the spot slightly and just say, <laughs> if you were to give us driving instructors one tip to, to help, that something we could do to help our students, whether it's sort of nerves, anxiety around that area, what one tip would you give to us? One each. Welcome to give one each. I, I can see, I can see cogs <laughs> wearing. Which one? Which, one? <laughs> which, which one? Um, I would say empathy to them, a little understanding, be less judgmental, and listen to what they say. Listen to the language that they use. Mm -hmm. Like your lady, all that cars, those cards that are coming towards me. No, the cars are going past you try and pick up on their language um when we do our workshops you know this we split instructors into four groups and we get the instructors a few instructors on on a whiteboard to look at what we call the best behavior behaviors emotions sensations so physical sensations and thoughts keep an eye out for those what behaviors are you seeing um missing speed limit signs because they're blanking out um, what emotions are you seeing or are they telling you? What physical sensations are you seeing? They're gripping the steering wheel. What are their thoughts? So their language, what they're saying to you, I hate this roundabout, I always panic. So if you can start to look out for their behaviours, emotions, what physical sensations you see and their thoughts, obviously you can't mind read, but from what they say, then you can start to pick up on what the issues are. The second point on that, Oh. Which I'll ride the back of that. <laughs> yes, I can. It's not what people say, it's what people do. do. It's their actions that tell you what they do. Mm. It's not what they say. It's you've often seen people saying one thing and then doing the opposite. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm yeah, fine. you're certainly yeah. not fine. Yeah. <laughs> so we can actually, it's not what people say. People want to convince themselves mainly, mostly to activate the right response. People understanding if they talk nice and do things, they want a better response. But their actions betray them. And actually there are many clues that we can pick up. It's not what people say, it's actually what they do. And not just thinking, oh, they've done that. It's why are they doing that? What's the choice system? Why have they done that? What's the behavior behind that? How have they created that? Why is that important for them to do that at this time? Once you start asking those kind of questions, you tend to open up a lot of approaches that you can ask them. And actually, the response, well, be careful, because you might get a response. <laughs> Um, yeah, brilliant. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a fascinating episode. As you mentioned, there's been a couple of times where I've just sat back and uh, in, indulged in, in what you were saying. Um, but do you want to take a moment to tell people where they can find you and anything you've got to offer? Right. So everybody knows us as L of a Way to Pass. All our books and courses are through Alan Baker at New Driver Programme. 
over the last few months, we've been developing, uh, note the royal way, that means everybody and I've done a, like 5% of it, um, a new app called Test Buddy. It's not on the app stores yet, but it's very imminent. But everybody can find it at testbuddy.app. Now, all of our courses will eventually be available through that. It's a great resource, though, for instructors to share with their learners. There's lots of free stuff on there, loads of free courses. Are you driving legally? Um, top tips for t- supervising. So trying to when, you know, when the learners go out with the parents, trying to marry together what the instructor's teaching them as well. So there's lots of free courses on there. Annie Winterburn's got some theory courses on there as well. So there's some really good stuff on there and it's all free to go and join onto the app. So within the next few weeks, our driving test nurse course for learners is going to be on there and also driving test nurse pro. Um, It's free for a month. And instructors can sign up for the month, give free access to up to 30 students at any one time. After the first month, it's $9.95 a month, no cancellation charge or anything. So there's no sort of fixed um, contract or anything. That then gives instructors and all their pupils full access to the Driving Test Nerves online course and the ebook. So what they do is they learn a little bit about the techniques a bit about how the brain works, how cortisol and adrenaline affect the learning process. You know, you can say to a learner, turn right, third exit, and all of a sudden they turn left because they've not heard you, or they pull out on the truck because they've not seen it because the brain is flooded with cortisol and adrenaline. So it explains what's happening in the brain, shares some of Chris's techniques, and also full demonstrations of my thought field therapy. And they can give all their, their learners access to that. So that's all available on testbuddy.app. And there's a forward slash, I think, instructors, but I'll send you the link. So they just follow the videos. Yeah. You don't have to read it, don't take, just follow Diane. Yeah, it, it's literally. <laughs> I do. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they can sign the pupils up for it and obviously use the techniques for themselves for own part threes and standards checks, um, or for less than 10 quid a month. And of course. As we mentioned, we have the workshops. Just to let you know on that, the workshops are £110. That's the full day workshop, refreshments included. And at the end of that, you get all of the resources. You also get featured on our Elevoid Pass website as a driver test no specialist. You have a specialist link that you embed into your website or you can put on Facebook that when learners land on that page, they click it. And it says this instructor is an accredited Elevoid Pass or a certified Elevoid Pass driving test nurse specialist. And kids are looking for it. They want yes, to know people because they're searching driving tests. Biggest thing. Yeah, the searching test nerves. That's a, the big thing. Um, so on the workshops, you learn all about that. Help with everybody's own part threes and standards checks. Techniques and strategies to use in car, but to share with your pupils as well. So all of the questions you're asking today. You've got the answers there. All the answers that you're looking for. <laughs> and obviously then we've got all the resources. So we've got the two-minute techniques guide. So each of the techniques can be done in two minutes in car. So you've got all those as ebooks and downloadable PDFs. And you also get access to the Zoom sessions as well. And the private group on Test Buddy. So, you know, for, for I think somebody mentioned it was expensive at £110. It's, well, where else could you go 
in any other industry for £110 that you get a combination of 40 years worth of experience with a, an advanced thought field therapist who's an ADI, a psychotherapist who's a specialist child psychotherapist with CAMS, all the resources, telephone them whenever and have access on Zoom. I think the key thing there for me, and, and this is actually quite in my brain at the minute, because I record another podcast before this one. It's something we'll be discussing, prices and so forth. Oh, with that presented, yeah. Yes, oddly enough. Oddly <laughs> <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> um, it, it's that number. I mean, £110 could be a lot of money to someone, but that doesn't mean it's not good value. doesn't mean it's not worth it. Yeah, but it, to it, say it, that it's it, expensive it to me is wrong. Yeah. yeah. said it, it's great. It's great value. What they get yeah. out of it. You know, yeah. I don't think anybody, even, even the people who said, well, I'm not sure if I'm really going to enjoy this, and said, how fantastic. I have learned so much. And really the start of a new, a new chapter in their life. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's something someone should, and if someone's short of money and they're thinking, I can't afford this, it's something I would say, put 20 quid a month away, come to you in six months. Yeah. It's it's going to benefit them by going on this course. I mean, look, there are all kinds of stuff out there, resources that people go and invest in. So I'm not only recommending yours, obviously, but course, it's, so that, it's, there, yeah. it's that expensive word. I don't like it because it almost devalues what you're doing. And, you know, you could charge triple what you charge and it would still be worth it. Right. And right. I think that that's, that's key. What you're providing is, is a really, really good set of tools, set of resources at a very good price. It just might, this person might not be able to afford it today. That doesn't mean they can't afford it tomorrow. And I think that's so much to think about. Well done, Terry. Bless yeah, you. absolutely. Yeah, all good. Cool. Uh, in, in which case, I'm just going to say thank you for coming on. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, and yeah, thank you for being uh, the first guest on the Instructor Podcast Season 3. Lovely, to, lovely to, well, I should say hear you, because it's a podcast, but we're on Zoom. So lovely to see you as well. <laughs> yeah, you get to see my pretty face. <laughs> lovely. The face from radio. Is that what Lee <laughs> Jarrett <Jonathan> said? <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Thank You're you, very Terry. Kind. So big thank you to Diane Hall and Chris Alsop for joining me for that conversation. Really enjoyed it. Really pleasant chat and learned something. Hope you did too. But I did promise to tell you about some of the changes we've got coming up, and this is what's coming up for Season 3. So, first of all, the Green Room, which was kind of weekly, or, or as we could fit it in in Season 2, that has now gone to monthly. So, as you're listening to this, this will uh, the Green Room will also be out the same day as this, and it'll be out roughly the end of the month, maybe the beginning of the next month, every month going forward. The other difference is we're going to get two or three guests on every time. So rather than just me and one guest, there'll be a few of us uh, picking apart the latest topics within the industry. We've also got the regular little bonus shows we do, including one coming up on March 8th, and I will let you find out what that is when we come to it. On top of that, I've also started recording a new weekly show. Now, I'm doing this predominantly on my premium subscription. It's called Backstage Pass, where I take you behind the scenes and offer some of my opinions around what I'm doing. But I will be dropping those, maybe monthly, into the regular feed as well. So as you can see, lots of fun stuff coming up. But there's all the other stuff as well. So we've still got the Instructor Podcast website. You can go over there. You can check out the blogs, the guest profiles, all the other stuff we've got there, including the back catalogue of hysterical, historical, not hysterical, or some are hysterical, episodes. And on top of that, we've also got the Instructor Podcast Premium. Now, 
as you're aware, over there, they've got all sorts of bonus content, including things around the standards check, around your health and managing stress and burnout, conversations around coaching and different ways you can take your business, all this awesome stuff, plus discounts for GoRoad and client-centered learning. If you'd like to know more, feel free to drop me a message or go to instructorpodcast.com, click on premium, and you can have a look at all the awesome stuff we've got over there. Thank you for listening today. I really appreciate you tuning in. And if you've listened all the way to the end, you are my new best friend. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.